Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. When I was in college, one of the most iconic figures on campus was a man named Gary the Pit Preacher. Gary was a man on a mission, and he spent multiple days a week sitting in a camp chair in the middle of campus, holding a sign telling students that they were all going to hell. Ironic, because the place that he usually set up was actually called the pit. But for those who missed the sign, he would yell out, and he'd tell students walking by that they were fornicators, idolaters, living in sin, and they better get their acts straight. And there was usually a crowd of people gathered around Gary, but usually they were not on their knees. These were students who came to hang out and argue or simply heckle. I would imagine that many of us have known or seen a Gary at some point. And for many students at my university, Gary was the only Christianity they ever encountered. It makes me so sad to this day. And for many of us, I imagine Gary and folks like him are what we think of when we think about Christians evangelizing or witnessing to their faith. So this morning, I want us to consider what does Christian witness truly look like? What does Christian witness truly look like? Last week, Alan kicked off our Easter series by telling us about the incredible event that changed the world over 2,000 years ago, the event on which the Christian faith stands or falls, the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth from the dead. According to common wisdom, not only of our day, but of Jesus' day too, this seems like something nearly impossible to believe. And yet, Today, nearly 2 billion people around the world subscribe to the belief that of the countless victims brutally murdered by the Roman Empire, the man Jesus of Nazareth conquered death by rising again from the grave and now reigns as the world's true king. How did that happen? How did 2 billion people come to believe that? It happened Because the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection not only believed that it had happened, but believed that the risen Jesus had sent them into the world to let it know. They went from being Jesus' disciples to being his apostles, or sent ones. They believed that the news of the resurrection was so important and so good that it had to be shared. And share they did. By the end of this morning's reading from the book of Acts, less than two months after Jesus' public crucifixion, over 5,000 people in Jerusalem had come to believe that he was risen from the dead. So how did the disciples, the apostles, spread this message? Did they set up in the middle of Jerusalem with a camp chair and a sign? What did their witness look like? And what does it mean not only for them, but also for us 
to proclaim the resurrection. Because as we heard this morning from the Gospel of John, as the Father sent Jesus, so are we sent too. This morning, I'm going to go old school preacher style and suggest that the apostles show us three things about what it means to witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Three things that just randomly, completely, happen to start with the letter P. First, the apostles proclaimed the resurrection. Second, they practiced the resurrection. And finally, they participated in the resurrection. But first, let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now turn with me to the beginning of Acts chapter 4, and let's dive in. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Our passage today starts with Jerusalem's religious leaders confronting Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest friends and followers, for, quote, speaking to the people, and more specifically, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So what's going on here? We're kind of thrown into the middle of the action in this passage. Let's back up and put the scene in context. Around two months before these events, Jesus was publicly killed by crucifixion outside the city of Jerusalem. Three days later, the disciples saw him alive, risen from the dead. And after receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, which we'll hear more about in a few weeks at Pentecost, they began to tell their fellow Jews about Jesus and his resurrection during daily prayer in the Jerusalem temple. On one of these early days in Acts chapter 3, as Peter and John were going into the temple to worship, Peter came across a man who had been unable to walk since birth and miraculously healed him through the power of the Spirit. And when people saw this man leaping around and praising God, they did what any of us would have done. They freaked out and they asked, what is going on? What has happened? And Peter he is ready to go, and immediately he begins to tell them about the power of Jesus and his resurrection. The temple authorities hear all this commotion, and in our passage, they come to confront Peter and John. That's where we pick up today in our reading. So what exactly was it that Peter was preaching? What does it mean that the apostles were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And if we are also called to proclaim the resurrection, what exactly does that involve? Well, when we look at Peter's speech to the people in chapter 3, and then his speech to the authorities here in our passage in chapter 4, it's actually interesting to me first what he doesn't say. See, contrary to the pit preacher, what he gives is not a message about behavior modification that centers on us. And contrary to many best-selling religious celebrities, 
It's not spirituality advice on how to find inner peace or live a fulfilling and productive life. And it is definitely not a promise of health and wealth or the eradication of all of our problems. So what is Peter talking about? What is the message the first Christians proclaimed? At the most basic level, what they are doing is announcing a news flash. They're announcing news. They're telling a story about something that has happened on the scene of human history, something that involves everyone, whether they believe it or not. So what kind of news is it? If it were a headline in the paper, what section would it be in? The religion section? Self-help section? Op-eds? If it were a magazine article, what magazine would this be worth publishing in? Christianity Today? If it were announced on the radio, what radio station would this be appropriate for? Caleb? No. Peter and the apostles are announcing something that belongs on the front page. It's the cover story, not an op-ed piece in the back. It's an event that concerns the entire world, not just the little private corner of what we might call religion and spirituality. It's something that was significant enough on a global and political level that the Roman Empire got involved. And this headline was this, that in Jesus, there is the resurrection from the dead. But again, what exactly does that mean? What was the content? What would have been in the article if you actually read through it? Well, fortunately, we don't have to wonder. Because we get two filled out versions of the news in chapter 3 and 4 of Acts. In chapter 3, Peter says this to the crowds that were gathering around, freaked out by the man leaping who once could not walk. Peter says this, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Now heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets, that through Abraham's offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. Do you hear that? Jesus was killed. God raised him from the dead. And now he dwells in heaven until the time comes for him to return in order to restore and heal everything, to bless all peoples on earth. This is front page stuff. And then in today's reading in chapter four, Peter more or less repeats his speech to the authorities who arrested him and John. He says this, You killed Jesus Christ of Nazareth, but God raised him from the dead. The stone you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So what are they saying? What is this news flash Peter is announcing? I think we could summarize it as something like this. Jesus of Nazareth, a real historical man, was murdered by the collaboration of religious authorities and Roman occupiers. But God physically raised him from the dead and has established him 
as the true foundation for life and salvation, the foundation of a renewed humanity, the source of blessing and restoration for all people and all things under heaven, the entire universe. In other words, God is rebuilding the world and setting all things right again on a new foundation. Jesus' resurrection is a sign that God will undo everything that is wrong with our world and our hearts. That God has conquered sin, death, and everything that would keep us from flourishing in communion with God and one another. Death does not win. Our sin can be overcome. Healing is possible. That's what the apostles were announcing when they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Do you hear how big a deal the resurrection is? It's not simply a good story. It's not simply encouraging. And like all news stories, its truth really is not dependent on the way we respond to it. We wouldn't treat any other news story like that. The message is not, if you do X, then God will do Y. It's not conditional like that. It's a message about something that God has already done and is doing. It's something that's actually bigger than you and bigger than me. And yet, this epic cosmic message also connects to the intimacy of our individual lives. We are invited to believe and participate in this resurrection reality. We're invited to leave our old foundations behind. The living, reigning Christ is intimately with us now by his Holy Spirit, bringing resurrection power and restoration into the present, forgiving our sins, turning us from ways of living that keep us and others from flourishing, even bringing healing to the places where our lives are broken. This is not just news. This is good news, the best news. And this is the message we are called to proclaim, that sin, suffering, evil, and even death does not have the last word. Friends, that is something I long to know is true. The apostles couldn't help but tell others about this. And in today's reading, over 3,000 people heard it and said, yes, we long for this too. And yet, sadly, not everyone in our passage hears this as good news. We read that the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, the religious authorities with the most power, are not overjoyed at this news like many of the people, but instead are greatly disturbed. Or I love how one translation puts it. It says that they were greatly annoyed that they were preaching this stuff. And they lock Peter and John up. Why do they do that? I believe it's because the resurrection is good news for those who are longing for something new. For those who have encountered the stench of death in this world and long for the elimination of injustice, oppression, and violence. The resurrection is good news for those who know their own poverty, who recognize their need for forgiveness, healing, and transformation. But the resurrection is threatening to those who are invested in the way things are. 
who depend on the status quo to prop them up. The Jerusalem authorities were threatened because they recognized that in Jesus there was power that trumped their own, power to disrupt the systems that made them comfortable. They rightly saw, I think, that the resurrection was more than an encouragement to individual people's hearts. You know, if that's all it was, Jesus would not have been killed, and Peter and John would not have been locked up in prison. The resurrection meant a radical challenge to injustice and brokenness everywhere. And the authorities knew that to accept this news would mean having to abandon their own building project. Abandoning their pursuit of power, wealth, fame, and control. And they would have to start again with this new foundation. And they were not willing. Friends, we are called to proclaim in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. We're called to tell our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members, our fellow students and friends that God is building something new. And it is the best building project we could possibly be a part of. The only one, in fact, that will truly last. We're called to tell others that Jesus' resurrection means that their suffering, their addiction, their betrayal, their sickness, their sin is not the last word. And we're called to invite them to trade these crumbling foundations for a new one. Jesus, the Lord of life. It won't be received by everybody. It never has been. But we are called to proclaim nonetheless. But we're not just called to announce a message, to proclaim the resurrection. We're also called to practice the resurrection. Now, remember what we said started this whole commotion in Acts and drew the crowds that Peter was speaking to in the first place. It was the healing of a man who had spent decades lying on a mat asking for money because he couldn't walk or work. Peter's preaching was actually his response to questions that others were asking him because they had witnessed something that did not compute, something that cut against their normal experience. Our proclamation, our witness to Christ's resurrection is just empty words. It's just a camp chair and a sign, unless we also practice the resurrection. I mean, let's be real. This message sounds crazy to a lot of people. Probably most people in the world, this sounds insane. And I'm sure even some of you here today would say the same thing. This is nuts. I mean, this is not something that can be proven like a mathematical formula. The resurrection cuts against our natural ways of thinking, and it challenges our cultural dreams and aspirations. I mean, who wants to abandon their project to build a life with as much power and control as possible and start again on a foundation that could get them thrown in prison? My favorite writer on the mission of the church, Leslie Newigan, says this, How is it possible that the gospel should be credible, that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross. I suggest that the only answer, 
The only explanation of the gospel is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. I also love the way Dr. Greg Thompson put it to our college students that we took to the Jubilee Conference back in February. And Dr. Thompson told our students, he was, he was speaking about this promise of resurrection and of restoration in our world. And he told them that these things, the resurrection, it's not only a consolation or a comfort, but it is also a calling. He said, our hope in the resurrection is not only a consolation, but a calling. We're called to practice resurrection by bringing life and forgiveness and restoration into the world and others' lives in the here and now. How are we supposed to do that? Well, there's a million things we could say, but this morning I want to emphasize this. Practicing resurrection means that we're called to live in a way that doesn't make sense that doesn't compute to the rest of the world. We're called to do something even better, called to something even better than Southern hospitality. You know, we're called to go beyond simply being nice. Or as one of my seminary professors like to say, it is sentimentality, not atheism, that is the biggest threat to the church. See, sentimentality expects that you can simply smile people into the kingdom of God. Practicing resurrection surprises people with sacrificial kindness. Sentimentality leads us to serve and love others so long as it's comfortable. Practicing resurrection led early Christians to stay in Roman cities and care for people who had the plague, often dying themselves Meanwhile, Roman officials were fleeing to private villas in the countryside. These Christians believed that Jesus really had conquered death. And so they resisted the death around them in a small but powerful way. A way that would not make sense unless the resurrection is real. One of the most powerful examples of practicing resurrection that I've seen in my life is at Reality Ministries in Durham. Reality is a Christian nonprofit ministry that seeks to create community, uh, a community of belonging for people both with and without disabilities. And they seek to do this so that everybody can tangibly experience the love of Jesus Christ. And tonight I'm super excited because I get to go to my favorite event that they put on each year, their annual talent show. Tonight, the Durham Performing Arts Center the same place that hosts Hamilton, Beyonce, and Chris Rock will be packed out. But the people on stage will be folks who the world says have no talents to offer. People who the world says are nothing more than charity cases to be pitied. But tonight, they will display the gifts that God has given them, and they will be lifted up with dignity and honor. And I guarantee you, there are going to be people in the audience tonight who the world says have everything together. They've got everything to give and nothing to receive. There will be doctors and lawyers and successful business people there tonight who will have their worlds rocked. And they will receive way more than they could ever give. I guarantee you, it happens every year.
The Reality Ministries talent show doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense in the world. It's a place where the power of the resurrection is on display because it is a display of life built on a new foundation. So we're called to both proclaim and practice the resurrection. Neither words alone nor deeds alone are enough. But I believe we cannot do either of these unless we first begin to participate in the resurrection. As should be clear by now, the resurrection is not just an idea. The resurrection is a reality. And we are meant to experience a foretaste of the resurrection in our own lives by the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're meant to experience comfort, hope, and transformation from the inside out. What does that look like? Well, I think Peter here in this passage is a perfect example. Here in Acts chapter 4, Peter is confronted by the same authorities that just two months earlier he had seen murder his teacher. And how did Peter respond that time? He denied that he even knew who Jesus was three times. But what happens this time? The authorities approach him and they demand, by what power or what name did you do this? But this time, Peter does not hesitate or deny. This time, he announces boldly that he is a witness to Jesus and his death and resurrection, and even calls out the authorities for their role in Christ's death. Peter knew, you know, the same thing that happened to Jesus could happen to him. So what changed? What overcame his fear of suffering and death? What transformed Peter's fear into faith? Well, verse 8 tells us, He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He had seen the resurrected Jesus. True, he's got a leg up on us there. But it wasn't just seeing the resurrected Jesus. It was receiving the very presence and power of the resurrected Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And that is a gift that we are invited to receive as well. If you have been baptized and given your allegiance to Jesus as Lord, you have his resurrected presence living and dwelling within you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and the sick man from his mat dwells within you. Now, that does not mean for sure that everything will be easy or that we won't experience any suffering. The resurrected Jesus still had his wounds, still had his scars, and the resurrected Peter still wound up in prison and ultimately was martyred for the very things we are called to do today. But the power of the Spirit in us means that our life is not defined by any of these things. Our suffering, our failure, the sins we've committed and that have been committed against us do not define us. Transformation, healing, and forgiveness are possible. Even our own death is not the final word about us. Because God is with us in it all, and the grave cannot contain him. Participating in the resurrection means knowing that if the grave could not hold Jesus, if the worst the world could throw at him did not hold him down, 
then the grave also will not hold us. Death does not win. And that hope changes everything. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is risen. And we have the opportunity through our life together and as individuals to proclaim, practice, and participate in his resurrected life. What would it look like for you to practice resurrection in the office? What would it look like for you to work and live in a way that does not compute with your coworkers, that doesn't make sense to those around you? What in your workplace is killing people and how can you stand against that? What would it look like to practice resurrection at school, to live differently than the kids around you? You know, what's hurting your classmates? How can you honor and protect them and stand against things like bullying and gossip? What would it look like to practice resurrection in your parenting? How could you surprise your kids with grace and parent in a way that surprises your neighbors? I cannot answer these questions for all of you. Everyone's situation is different. You know your situation. But I encourage you, take time this week. Pray, think about this, both on your own and especially in community. How can you proclaim and practice the resurrection in your context? Small groups would be a great place to have this conversation. What I do know is it will be costly. It will be sacrificial. But it also will be gloriously worth it. And the very spirit of the resurrected Christ will give you strength. Friends, we have the power to bear witness to the most important news people could ever hear. To let the world know that Easter was just the beginning. In Jesus Christ, there was is and will be the resurrection from the dead. Alleluia. Amen.